feels a bit weird for me to remember the very instance in which I bought a compact disc. That feels especially true when that moment was 25 years ago. But for reasons unknown to me, my mind has held a memory with startling clarity of going into a Christian bookstore to look for some new albums and coming out with the debut album of Carolyn Aaron's. If you followed along with Carolyn's career over the 25 years since, you'll likely agree with me that you've learned to trust her work and her voice. She's released more than a dozen albums in the last quarter decade, along with three acclaimed books. And in addition to her work as a creative practitioner, she's also taken up the mantle of Director of Education for Renovare, a position that allows her to encourage and strengthen the spiritual formation of others. If you've been along on this journey with us on the Call It Good podcast, you know we're seeking to best understand what it means to create in the image of a creator. How does Genesis 1 actually apply to us? And what does it mean to rest and reflect after we've actually made something? Because of Carolyn's ability to speak to these topics with experience and grace from multiple angles, I knew that she'd be an ideal guest for the podcast. On this episode of Call It Good, she provides us with a wealth of wisdom from her experience as a multidisciplined practitioner and her perspective as an educator. I have no doubt you're going to enjoy this conversation with Carolyn Ahrens. Welcome to another episode of Call It Good. Today, I'm so excited to sit down with Carolyn Ahrens, who's coming to us from the blistering hot British Columbia, right? Yeah, you said it's a hundred degrees there, so yeah, we're setting we're setting national records for heat here, and we have no idea what to do with it. It's very unusual <laughs> for the Pacific Northwest. Wow. Well, appreciate you carving out uh, this time and space for us, Carolyn. For those of you, for those who aren't maybe aware of your work or even your work in all the areas in which you kind of have a, a hand. I mean, it's not just like I remember I bought, I think it was your very first album back in like 95, which makes yeah. me feel a little bit older than I, I want to reflect on at this moment. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> so I've known you as a songwriter for a long time, but there's also books and your work with Renovara. Can you tell us about about really any and all of that? Sure. Yeah. So, so most of my vocational life, I've been primarily a singer songwriter. Uh, as you said, since about 95, I've been doing that professionally, vocationally somewhere along the way. Um, also started doing non-musical writing articles and books and things like that. And then for about the last six years, I've actually had like a, a day job um, for an organization called Renovari, which is a Christian spiritual formation organization, kind of asks the question, uh, you know, how can we in, be more intentional about our friendship with God and kind of open up our lives uh, more to his grace and his transforming work in our lives, which has been this kind of cool weaving together of all the other uh, threads of my life. And then music and writing has continued as part of that. And just in the last year, I had kind of a fresh wave of uh, musical creativity, put out some new records for the first time in about six years. So um, yeah, lots of irons and lots of fires. I'm grateful to get, get to do lots of fun things. I So, you know, today 
I doubt anyone is jumping straight into this episode, or maybe they are, and and so I I don't want to leave anyone behind. But you know, we, this whole series, this podcast series, is based upon Genesis one, and viewing that as kind of a creative template. Like, what does it mean for us? We're we're inquiring into this journey of what does it mean to be created in the image of a creator, and if we're called to be creative, if we're born with this innate ability to bring something out of nothing or with the help of the spirit into the world, if we're here to order the world and all the things that we find in the creation account, then as we look at sort of this opening poem as a template for, okay, how do we, how do we then order our lives in this way? Or what, like, what cues can we take from it? I was excited to talk to you about this in particular, because you like you're director of education, right? For Renovare. Right. Which means you have sort of the shepherding role there. Yeah. Yet you're also direct practitioner of, hey, I like I'm creating it it seems like you're interested in building this in the lives of people and also asking what does that mean for you? Yeah, I I just I adore the theme of this uh podcast because I think it, it comes up on uh, you know, what does it mean to have this part of our work where we reflect on the work? It, like you said, if we're following that template in Genesis 1, uh, there's so many nuances to that. And I think it's where a lot of people get tripped up. And uh, I, I can't wait to hear the other conversations that you have ab about this because my head's been swimming ever since I, <laughs> I knew we were going to talk about it. Because it, to me, in this this part about reflecting on our work, I think there's at least a couple movements there. There's first of all, you know, is what I've made good? Um, and then secondly, if it is, what would it look like for me to offer it to the world? And, and are those the two things you've kind of been teasing out in your conversations? Yeah, yeah right. definitely. Yeah. And I, I think we get uh, tripped up on, on both fronts. Um, you know, the, the first part, uh, is, is what I've made good. You know, I was even kind of breaking that down in my mind because I think, I think when we make something, it's always good to make something like it's always good to have created. It's always sort of an affirmation of the image of God in us. So I think when we get done making something, the, the first stage, if we want to uh, you know, sorry, this is the director of education. Part of me always please. wants to break things down in yes, stages. Do. <laughs> right? So, so knowing we were going to talk about this, I was thinking, okay, well, the first, the first thing should just be gratitude. Yay. I got to make something. I got to, I got to be fully alive in that way of kind of affirming the fact that I'm made in the image of a creator and I get to co-create with him. Like, that's awesome. So, so the first thing should just be gratitude and delight and celebration that I made something. Then the next stage is, well, has, is what I've made any good <laughs> from, from kind of a craft perspective and also from a ethics and nurturing the world kind of uh, perspective. And I think even that question has a couple parts to it. Like the first part is, is what I've made 
the goodest, you know, the best that I'm yeah. cap capable, that I personally am capable of making at this stage in my development, you know, as an artist or writer or sculptor, whatever I am, right? I'm definitely not a sculptor. So in my case, it's usually, <laughs> it's usually looking at a song or looking at a piece of writing and saying, is this, is this the best I'm, I'm capable of making at this stage? That's kind of phase one of this part. And then the next phase is now, is it good in terms of its potential to nourish others or in some way um, offer something uh, to the world? Um, and so if, and that second part, I mean, there's so much to say about that. So maybe we can talk about that in a minute. And I'm curious um, what, what you've been hearing from others and how you've been thinking about it. But uh, yeah, part one, is it the best that I can do? Part two, is it, does it seem to have the potential to nourish others? And if it's yes to both of those, then the next phase is, okay, then what would it look like um, to offer it to the world? And then that gets us into all these complicated things about, uh, you know, how do I steward work well in a way that isn't just narcissistic and self-glorifying? And so, mm. so yeah, so I've been thinking about it sort of Level one, just gratitude, because it's always good to make something. Level two is what I've made good in the sense of, is it the best that I can do, number one? And number two, does might it offer something to the world? And then number three, if yes to number two, is how do I offer it to the world? Yeah. Well, I, I'd, love, I'd love to break this down with you a little bit by asking like you as a practitioner, Mm -hmm. to sort of take us through your own process there. So, so if, if, if there is this, like you just said, Hey, like the music's been coming again after six years, I put out a couple albums. Yeah. Like as like, was what did that process look like for you to make something and then pause to reflect on it and then like give it that test of, of is, is this good? Is this the best that I can mm -hmm. do? Do you have specifics even from this latest set of songs? Yeah. And, and again, I'm going to like impose some, Please um, some cerebral models on it because it just helps me so much. Um, so a few, I don't know how many years ago I came across this kind of fourfold model of the creative process. Have you seen it? It goes, uh, preparation, incubation, illumination, verification. Have no, you? I haven't. I haven't. Okay. So it's, it, it's just sort of out there, I think in the sort of sociology psychology world but it helped me so much because it says uh, basically anytime we make anything it of course it's not going to be like totally linear we're going to be bouncing around but we're probably going to go through these four phases when we make something preparation is like you know i gotta there's kind of a macro part of the preparation which is like every thing I've ever done in my whole life, you know, every prayer I've ever prayed, every song I've ever listened to, every book I've read, every joke I've laughed at, every chord I've learned, all of it, right, is preparation. Macro, micro preparation is like, I got to have these pencils and <laughs> this kind of lighting to work on this or, you know, whatever, I, I, this guitar in the room. Incubation is that part where like the ideas are starting to brew and, you know, um, sort of everything, usually in the incubation phase, everything uh, all, seems to be coming back to this idea and kind of nourishing the idea. And the incubation phase can be a couple minutes or it can be 10 years, you know, just depending on, on the project. 
then illumination is that part that most of us think of as the creative process. It's when stuff is actually coming. Mm. And it's so important in the illumination phase not to be too self-reflective or too um, evaluative. And this took me a long time to learn. Like when I was a, a young songwriter and I, and I signed my first publishing deal, um, I stopped writing songs <laughs> as soon as I signed a publishing deal because I would be working on a song. I would get into the illumination phase, that kind of aha phase when things are actually coming. And I would move too quickly to the next phase, which is verification, which is that self-reflective phrase. Mm. And in illumination, um, moving to the evaluative phase will shut down illumination. And so I would be working on a song and I would like instantly think, oh, I know my publisher is going to say this about it because I'd gotten used to my publisher's voice in my head and it would shut down the writing. And so it wasn't, it wasn't until I came to this kind of fourfold model that I started to realize, okay, in illumination, you have to actually shut out those evaluative voices and too much self-reflection just serve the work, just show up and serve the work, just receive it, be a good host for inspiration. It's a rare and beautiful gift when it shows up. Just be open, just receive it and trust that whenever you've kind of um, like run out the illumination phase, as long as it's going to last, you know, you've been, you've been, you've just, you've shown up, you've been a good host, you've gotten it all down. Then you're going to enter this verification phase. And in the verification phase, you're going to look at it and you're going to go, is this any good? Is this the best that I can do? And, and then, um, then you start to, in sort of discernment and community, invite people that know your craft well and sort of say, what do you think? Try it out for audiences. Um, you know, that's when this verification phase happens. So even that was so important to me early in, in my development as a writer, but even in this last year, I had to kind of learn it all again. Cause it'd been a few years since I created new work and, um, it really helped that we were in the middle of a pandemic. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of locked down anyways. And so I was able to just kind of show up and be faithful to that illumination phase and it sort of came in a bit of a firestorm. And so I, you know, which is, I mean, it's tragic for my family. No one gets dinner for weeks because uh, it just kind of takes over my life and I just have <laughs> <laughs> to show up and be present to it. But then I realized, Hey, I can't go and, you know, we, we weren't allowed outside of our houses. We couldn't go play music for people. And so that verification phase was kind of, missing because in the past sometimes I wouldn't know if I had a good song until I played it for people mm. and it's kind of mysterious because sometimes when I would play a song for an audience even before I got to the end of the song there's just something about other people being in the room I would know more whether it was good or not uh just being in the presence of other people even before I got the feedback loop of their applause or their comments after a show or whatever. And so I had to kind of create a feedback loop for this verification stage. And I did that by like reactivating a mailing list and sending out video work tapes of the songs once a week and just inviting people to speak into them um, and finding out, you know, in that verification phase, is this, does this speak to you? Does it nourish you in some way? Uh, so I had to kind of create that 
that cycle um, artificially, but it, it turned out to be really helpful. Mm. I, I love I love so much of what you said on the front end. You know, you were talking about shutting down the illumination phase. I'm I'm so familiar with that myself, and and having talked to so many artists over the years. You know, like like some of the analogies there are like you know like water flowing or or some songwriters will will say like they bleed like they bleed on the page you know kind yeah. of thing yeah but in but in both instances you know like if like if the faucet's flowing too much you're like okay well I've like I've got to shut it off because the floor's getting wet <laughs> you know like <laughs> like like water's going everywhere and so the tendency is to like I need to grab a towel and control the you know the damage the water flow the whatever and it's the same thing with like well you can't just bleed all over the place and then like clean up like you want to you want to attend to that wound it's i i just think that even the word pictures that come up about some sort of creative flow are innate with like also are examples to like want to stop those things like as they're happening and and like but letting like letting the water flow, let it do the damage it will. And then we'll like, we'll re-drywall the basement later on if that's what we need to do. Cause if like, it, it is hard to do, it's hard. It, yeah. We're, how, what was the turning point for you to find that out? Like, was it reading about the four part thing or like, like, do you remember a point where you're like, Oh man, I remember I used to really wrestle with that as a younger artist. And, and, but this is what helped me turn the corner. Yeah. I think it was that, that sort of once I signed a, a publishing deal um, and ex- had that experience of being too evaluative too soon mm. um, and realizing like it was kind of life or death as a writer. Like if I don't, if I don't figure out how to just show up and receive illumination or inspiration or do the bleeding or let the water flow, you know, whatever metaphor you want. Um, if I don't do it, there's not going to be any, any work or at least not any kind of, you know, inspired work, work that's sort of beyond what I can drum up purely as a craftsperson. Um, so yeah, somewhere in there, I, I learned how to return to something that had happened or organically even before that, before I started thinking about, uh, will this work do anything in the world? And, and, you know, I think it's, sometimes we separate out that part of like, you know, will it, will it fit in a marketplace or will it, you know, are there people that will want to give it a platform? You know, we, we see all that part is kind of like the profane part or the yucky part. And, I don't think it is. I think at, I think this is the great insight of this call it good idea is that no, like reflecting on it and figuring out how it can serve the world is also serving the work. But I but I think that what's so helpful about coming across this four-part model and why it really was transformative for me is that it uh it's not yucky at all, but it, but it has to be in the right um, place in the process. And if it, if it comes too early in the process, then it will, then it will um, taint (laughs) the illumination part. Right. Cause like, like the first time I ever read about the model, there was this list of illumination killers and there were things like 
evaluation, like, you know, while you're doing the bleeding or while the water is coming, evaluating it. Is this any good? How does this compare to my peers doing this kind of work? Uh, surveillance, like anybody being in the room who isn't invested in the process, mm. being being reward oriented, being competitive, all of that stuff will kill that phase. But what's funny is when you get to the verification phase, then I'm like, totally be competitive. Like if there's if there's a if there's another writer that makes you feel kind of jealous, pay attention to that because that's you know, I believe in something like like kind of like holy envy. They're, you're seeing something in that person that you inspire to. Spend time with them. Let them let them hone you. So, you know, that that part of um reflecting and evaluating and being critical is so important and figuring out, you know, how to offer it to the world. It's so important, but it just has to come in the right order, at least for me. If I get yeah. the order scrambled, it will shut everything down. Hmm. You know, you've, you've mentioned, um, I, I love that you created that feedback loop because I mean, obviously the model, you know, if we're talking, if we're referencing Genesis one as this template, it's a communal template, right? It's, it's, it's God saying, let us make man in our image. Mm-hmm. And so there is love this that. like communal aspect to all parts of that process. I, do you think we have a romanticized notion of the like distressed artist, like suffering for their, you know, suffering for his or her own craft alone in a room? Like, cause you've described that as like what you need and saying like maybe other voices need to be shut out there. What does that mean for collaboration for you? Yeah. So excellent questions. There's a couple things I would say about that. I, I definitely think in the verification part of this model, if you'll let me stick with the model, um, that's absolutely a discernment and community um, thing. Like both in terms of just the people you hope the work might serve in some way. So just, just, you know, people who appreciate the kind of work you do. And then also, you know, for lack of a better term, experts or practitioners you admire um, in that field. Um, In that stage, the one thing I'd say about that is to be careful who you choose, particularly in terms of practitioners you admire or, you know, I hate the term gatekeepers, but people who really understand what you're trying to do, Mm. um, that they, that they do map on to what you're trying to do. Again, I remember as a really young songwriter, uh, you know, I'm writing these kind of folky storytelling, um, songs and going to a practitioner who was ahead of me on the, on the path, somebody who was doing well in songwriting, but he was totally like a top 40, um, you know, pop radio kind of writer. And he was really discouraging about my work. And I realized later, like we were, we were trying to get to two completely different places on the map. And so, so you have to be careful about, uh, you absolutely need people to speak into your work, but you have to be careful about who you choose and who you empower um, to speak into your work. To jump back to the question you were asking about, like, is does it have to be this lonely, tortured process in the illumination phase? I'd say like, yeah, sometimes it does, mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on what you're doing. But can you have collaborator- collaborators in that phase? Absolutely. Um, 
I think I said earlier in the illumination phase, like surveillance will kill illumination. And that means anybody in the room who isn't actively invested in the creation. Um, so you can have people in the room that are co-creating with you as you co-create with God, but you can't have like any, I, at least in my experience, you can't have, so I can totally have a songwriter, a co-writer in the room with me working on the song with me, but I can't have like a third person who's not invested in the process, who's just watching. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, so I think, I think there is something to the lonely tortured artist. There are, there are times when you just have to show up, serve the work and it's hard and it's lonely. Um, but you always know you're going to go to that verification phase that's going to be in community. And there's also the possibility in the illumination phase of having a creative partner or partners, but they just have to be kind of mutually invested. Hmm. I, I'd love to talk about the reveal here because I'd love to know your relationship with the reveal of what you've made and the invitation of others into that. Like, what was that like for you as a younger artist? And what's that like for you now? So by reveal, do you mean kind of the first time you share the work with others? Yeah. Well, I, I guess I mean at the point where I guess I'm looking at the template and just thinking, you know, because it's not just reflection and, and re like, it's not just rest and reflection upon the work right? as if, as if like God kept it all to like for God's mm -hmm. own self, if, right. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's not mm -hmm. just this, this exists just for, like it was like it was a gift. It was like given to us to then steward and take care of and live into it. Yeah. And so, like to me, that's the power of art, right? The power of a shared story. The power mm -hmm. of 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 when the artist provides language or imagery that also feels like it's mine. Yeah. And so, I guess I wonder for you what that looks. Um. It seems like you had something to say there you know, on that topic earlier in the conversation. But I also wonder, uh, very few artists, especially songwriters, have the sort of longevity that you've had. And so I, I just wonder if you're able to look back at your earlier youthful impulses hmm. in this area versus maybe now what you wish you'd known or what you've learned. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, the... I think that as I have matured, in many ways, I've gotten more separation from the work, uh, at least at least on my best days. Um, and and the best metaphor I can think of for this is I usually co-produce my records. And when we're cutting vocals, it's my least favorite part. It's just vulnerable and miserable i like all the other parts better <laughs> and you know i need kind of the lights off and i need my co <laughs> i knew my co-producer the engineer to just be like just totally pump my tires right just totally tell me that it sounds great it's you know this feedback loop and um it's just awful and and um but the funny thing is once we've gotten some takes of the vocal then I go into the, you know, maybe I go get lunch, right, to get a bit of separation from it. Then I come back into the control room and I start listening to takes and maybe I'm going to comp my favorite sections, you know, combine my favorite sections into one master performance. And I, 
I don't, you know, maybe this means I have some kind of psychiatric illness, but I actually refer to the singer in the third person. Like now she's someone else, you know, <laughs> bless her heart. She did her best. And, and I, I'm completely removed from it. And I, I think it's actually really healthy. Like mm. I've, I've made the work and now, you know, that's so maybe that doing the vocals is it to, you know, in in this model I've been flogging, it's maybe that's the illumination phase. And now I'm verifying it and it's separate from me. So there was this really kind of vulnerable part of serving the work. And now there's this really kind of almost detached part of, of serving the work. And um, I think that's the healthiest pattern for me in terms of offering my, my work to the world. Like sometimes, you know, it'll come out of like this deeply vulnerable invested place but there comes a point where I kind of have to take my hands off it um and put it out there and say okay anyone you know does this does this nourish anyone does this help anyone does this wake any help someone become a little bit more alive or a little bit more open a little bit more aware of God's presence in the world and if I get feedback that it does it's totally thrilling to me but it's, um, I, I think on my best days, it makes me celebrate the work much more than it makes me celebrate myself because it's detached. So I actually had a friend just say just the other day, she's trying to finish a novel and she said, I'm just so afraid to put it out there because I just, I, I just will hate the self-promotion part of the cycle. And I said, well, don't it won't be self-promotion it'll be work promotion you'll you know you've you've been serving the work this whole time and then that will be the next phase of serving the work and there comes a point where it actually doesn't have all that much to do with you anymore if if you've gotten enough verification that the work has potential to serve others then then it's time to serve the work in that in that way and i'm rambling on here but i'll tell you one other kind of moment yeah. When, when I had a light bulb go on for me about that. And it was, you know, maybe about five years into my kind of touring life as a recording artist. Um, I'd always had, it's a, it's a very high Canadian value, you know, I'm Canadian to be humble. Right. And we we, we, we really don't like arrogance very much. And so I'd always had this kind of self-deprecating, uh, you know, when people would applaud at the end of a song, I'd get, I'd launch into the next song as quickly as possible, um, <laughs> you know, to kind of downplay that, you know, and I'd grown up in a church culture where, you know, I'd seen where if you would clap for a Christian artist, they'd point upwards and say, you know, give God the glory, right, give right. me the glory, you know, that whole kind of mentality. And I, I got to do this tour with a Canadian artist here named Steve Bell, which if people don't know his work, they must check it out immediately. He's just incredibly wonderful and very rabbit roomish. Um, Steve Bell and Bob Bennett, the wonderful um, singer songwriter, Bob Bennett. And we did this thing called the living room tour where we just sat in a circle and passed songs around. And um, what I noticed with Steve is that when he finished a song and people would applaud he would just hold space for that. Like he would just smile and it would, it, it just would turn into this kind of holy exchange that was just like, it's very striking to me. He would just, 
he would just hold space and their replies would go on and on because they could see he was holding space. And it wasn't like he was saying, yeah, I'm great, aren't I? It was like, it was like whatever the song had been pointing to, and hopefully our best work is always embodying or pointing to something. He would let the audience uh, speak. I started to see that, oh, okay, something like applause is the only chance the audience has to respond in the conversation, you know, if you're a performer. Um, and so he was honoring them, giving them a chance to speak. And together, he as the artist and they as the receivers of his work were looking at this thing that the song had pointed to or embodied and saying together, isn't it good? It was, there was just something really holy and cool in that exchange. And so really from that point on, I tried to learn how to receive that feedback. Um, again, not as, um, you know, self-glorification, but as uh, this opportunity to mutually look at whatever's been embodied with, with the work and yeah, to follow what you've detected in Genesis to go together. Isn't it good? Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. That's such a great realization too, because it just frees you up from so many toxic, um, you know, it's just possible for us to turn inward like with anything else. Right. Yeah. And just make it about so many other things than the freedom um, and the joy possible um, if we can find that balance and and live in it. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, I want to, I think it would be possible and probable to be <laughs> profoundly self-deceived on this front. Like, like when I said to my friend, well, it's not self-promotion, it's work promotion. Um, I absolutely believe that's true. And on my healthiest days, it's a hundred percent true, but I, I'm not going to lie when, if somebody doesn't get what the work is pointing to, that can feel like a rejection of self or, yeah. or when somebody really digs what the work is pointing to, it can, it can feel for a moment like, well, dang, I'm great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, we live in a profoundly narcissistic culture. And so I, I do think we need to be awake and aware that this could feed a really unhealthy part of ourselves. But I don't think the answer is then to never call the work good or never delight in the gift of getting to create something meaningful and nourishing. It, it, you know, so I guess there's just ditches on both sides of the road. You know, on, on one side of the road is to never never reflect or call it good or celebrate that something good has come out of this co-laboring with God. The other side of the road would, you know, just to let it become a form of the, you know, ego, uh, obsession. Um, and so, so, and I think we just have to be wary of, of both ditches and, uh, one of our favorite practices at Renovari, Renovari is all about spiritual disciplines. And one of my favorite anyways, is just the prayer of examine, which is just kind of like a, a daily review with God, where you just kind of go over your day with God and you look for moments where you were moving towards him. You look for moments where you were moving away. And I think probably every artist needs some kind of daily or weekly examine of like, am I, am I serving the work or am I serving myself and holding that up to God's light and love and, and asking for health there. 
Mm. Gosh, that's so helpful. Carolyn, this has been such a wonderful conversation. And uh, I, yeah, I was I was hoping this would be the avenues that we would go down. And, and you've been so helpful for us and for myself. And, and I'm assuming for so many others. Thank you for your time today. You've been so kind and generous. Oh, thank you, Matt. I'm so glad you are having this conversation with people. And I can't wait to, to listen to the whole series. Call It Good is brought to you by the Rabbit Room Podcast Network, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To listen to all the podcasts on our network, visit rabbitroom.com podcasts. The work we do at the Rabbit Room wouldn't be possible without the generous support of our membership. If you're a member, thank you for being a part of what is happening here. To learn more about membership and help us continue to create works like this, visit rabbitroom.com slash membership.